What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Can Be Christian Church Podcast. This is the On Sunday edition of the podcast. Uh, We call it that because it is a Monday and we're in a dank basement. But we're talking about what happened on Sunday. The goal of the podcast is to look at the scripture that we covered on Sunday and the sermon that was preached. And so we hope that edifies you. This is not Cody and Tisdale, who normally does the welcome or the introduction or the hosting, whatever you want to say. Uh, it's me, Pastor Rob. I am here fulfilling his duties because he is away. He He's literally flying right now to Peru. 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 Uh, so joining me today is... Aaron. And, and Nathan. Just Aaron the three of us. The, the new the guy, three. Nathan, is here. We are missing the flair with Cody. Yeah. But we, we really are. I mean, I might... I could do that. I know how to do that, but the, the mixing quality of this, as you may or may yeah. not know... Uh, as you're listening to this, is not going to be as polished because Cody is much better at this side of things, and uh, he's tried to train me, and I'm helpless at it. So, uh, you know, forgive me, give me grace. This yeah. Week. But how has your week's been? How's your first week here in Canby, Oregon, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, everybody's been so warm, welcoming, and I feel like there's just been a lot going on. So just getting used to everything, but. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, yesterday my stuff finally came in, and I realized I lost the key to the padlock to open up the box. To the get strongest all my stuff. padlock I've ever encountered. I tried to cut did it. Did you buy this padlock? My father did, oh, but he did okay. give me the key. Oh wow! So it was my responsibility after he <coughs> passed that on, and I assumed that I lost it in Yellowstone or around Yellowstone National Park. So wow! There's probably no getting that back. No. So what did we do? We grabbed the drill and we took off the hinges onto <laughs> <laughs> the door. We took the hinges off. And they came and took that box today. I think it's just and the lock is still on there. <laughs> yeah. Yep, they oh. we we made contact. They made contact. They know they're getting it off with bolt cutters or something. Wow, so. we tried with bolt cutters. You need like a grinder. You didn't. You did like you a... guys not hit up Joel? We, we did. did. He had some saw thing, and he couldn't get he it. Tried open? to do like the lock picking. Oh wait a second, Joel tried to get it off and couldn't get it off. No. Oh man! I mean, Joel was sawing it with a uh, with a little sawzall yeah. blade and couldn't get it off. Not at all, dude. Oh. Barely made a dent in that thing. Oh my goodness! I bet you that really got under Joel's skin. I if I know Joel at all. Oh, he was he frustrated. Got de- he got determined. He was frustrated. And Henry was in the car with the dog. <laughs> he thought this was going to be a quick, quick little trip. Poor oh, Henry's stuck in the car gosh. seat for like fifteen minutes, and he's yeah, he was struggling. Oh. But he gave it a good college try. <laughs> he tried so appreciate wow that, that's a bummer yeah. but i i was laughing because when you after sunday your your first sunday here last weekend it's basically been raining all week mm-hmm. yep and i just thought that was so funny his first week here just raining constantly this week should be nice though i saw the only problem is we're going to be in a classroom yep. <laughs> all week long at a conference wow beautiful for me to look out the window <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We're heading up to Portland later this week. Mm-hmm. Yes, so to how do was a your trust. Your week, Aaron. You went. You went camping. Uh, it was my do? wife. It was our anniversary on Monday, I believe. Congratulations! Uh, yes, congrats. Uh, thirteen, <coughs> thirteen years. Yep. And so, <coughs> excuse me. We had, I guess, booked like a camping spot down on the coast at South Beach, like near Newport. And so we went there Thursday night, Friday night, and came home Saturday morning. And I don't know. That was pretty much it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, 
And now we're back. And we've got a bunch of stuff. This is going to be a busy week. Yep. It will um, be a busy week. And this podcast needs to be a bit shorter. So we don't need to talk about my week. My, yeah. Nothing. Well, I should mention uh, this past Thursday, um, I sadly oh, had yeah, to the... miss Life Group um, because I was participating in the um, fundraising gala for the Pregnancy Care Center here in town. Um, uh, I serve over there and we partner with them as a church a little bit as well. And I took a few families from the church, a few couples joined us, the Hamers came, the the Macy's, and uh, just to participate in in that, we heard a good speaker on the topic, heard about all they're doing, were able to participate in that, which was a lot of fun. Um, I got to connect with some of the other church leaders in town. Mm. Those events are kind of a kind of cool for that reason. Yeah, totally. You know? You're able to link uh, arms with people and get to, because we don't often are <coughs> in situations where we get to meet with the other pastors and church leaders and people in, you know, that are in town, and and this is a good one that everyone, you know, enjoys participating in serving uh, under you know privileged women and, and men and families who are uh, not expecting and are pregnant and then have to deal with all that. So that's something that everyone can join join forces on. And it was mm. it was a really good night um, last year. In fact, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name. The pastor of Be- of Bethany, Jeff Jennings. Jeff, yeah, he was the MC last year. Oh, cool! I didn't see him this year, but um, anyways, I connected with a few pastors in town that I haven't met and stuff like that. So it was cool, and the families who came and and supported, we had a, a really good showing. A lot of people there. So, Sweet. Uh, that was maybe the highlight of last week for me. Nice. Very cool. But let's move on because we are getting into John chapter two, second half of chapter two. I, I, uh, Jeff Barrett uh-huh. at our elder meeting yesterday came up with an alternative title that I thought was really funny. Oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> I thought that was a really funny, uh, very o- fitting alternative oh. title to this one. Of or you when, when Jesus went to church. That, yeah. It's still a good title. When Jesus came to church. Not a bad title at all. I mean, but, it's a little catchy. Yeah. But. Was it church or was it the temple? I mean, of, yeah, we can get in, we can get into that. <laughs> we will. Um, or or you could have used Michael Scott's versions. How how the turntables? Exactly what I thought of when he said it. <laughs> Which would have been yeah, even more funny. Oh wow, I haven't seen that or paid attention to that episode, so I don't know. <laughs> Because you're holier than us, but yeah. Well, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I don't know about all that. You know, you know, Rob's doing the uh, what do you call this engineering? I guess mm-hmm. when I'm pressing all the random buttons. <laughs> my, um, my question uh, to both of you, I guess, when you read this story, what is your initial impression? And I know that's kind of a dumb question, but what is your initial thought based on everything you know about Jesus' ministry and and of course the temple language and just the scene and the the historical cultural context like what do you how does this story hit you because it's i i think this story hits in a certain way more than like say other stories where you're like i'm trying to figure out what's going on here this one hits i think pretty quick I think John's gospel, a lot of stories are like that in John's gospel. Yeah, maybe that's We're true. We're going to see that this week. Yeah, it's, Nicodemus. It's, and Yeah. But but yeah, I'll let you go first, Nathan. How did it? Yeah, I mean, Jesus <coughs> makes a whip and starts driving people out. So it's just always like, whoa, this isn't the Jesus that I'm used to hearing about, thinking about, or yeah. what people talk about. So sure, definitely something that you're like, okay, what is this guy going to say when sure. you get up on stage? 
preaching it. I mean, and and to that point, like, does that? Because uh, I feel like we live especially in a, like a, a culture now mm. where an expression of frustration, like, is like no one can do that anymore. Mm. Even even if it's like for a really good reason, the the reaction is never justified. Mm. And yet Jesus does it here, and it obviously is Jesus, and it's totally okay, yep. <laughs> um, because it's Jesus. And yet, yeah. yeah, like there's not cause for that. I feel like we live in an age where people are so fragile hmm. to like a, a reaction like this. And so I, I guess that's where I kind of came yeah. with um, <clears throat> my introduction a little bit on that. Like, wow, this might, some might be confused by this how could jesus possibly literally hit people with a whip like how how does that work yeah yeah but i also think it's hard because there's no modern equivalent of what's happening there because this was like old testament law the temple it's not like a one-to-one comparison between the no like and so it would be strange for kind of anyone to go into a modern day church and turn tables i think because of the dynamics of where we are now theologically for sure you know like in the redemptive history yeah 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 like yeah. but then it makes sense right. like then it's it's honestly probably the disciples were thinking why wasn't this done earlier uh-huh. like i could imagine them first saying well this is just the way it is and it's always been like this and yeah. they're used to it and then he starts doing this and my 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 thought is although this is not in the scripture i'd have to assume this that they're thinking good like we've been wanting like uh, some part of us thought this is wrong but because all these l- religious leaders are doing it and everyone seems to be okay with it mm. i'm okay with it i <clears> guess <throat> you know sure. but now he's doing it and they're like yes this is what we want this is what we need and so they're probably were shocked initially and then they realize what's going on and that's i think the remember language you see john use where he said then they remember this psalm that says he's going to be zealous mm. for this the place of god he will have zeal for the house of God. And so, yeah, I think it's hard It's hard for us to imagine something like that happening now because of those very complicated, there's a lot of... But we looked at this a little bit in Exodus about the temple, what it mm. represents, mm. how it's supposed to be the made. Tabernacle, the yeah. tabernacle, yeah. Which was <clears> the forerunner <throat> for the temple. But yeah, like all of those elements have such an importance and physically, there's there's physical things that need to happen to maintain its holiness. Which in our in our spot in redemptive history, physical things are less important than spiritual things in that sense. Not that they're unimportant, but like we don't need to wash our hands or our right, feet right, before right. entering the room right. or something, you know. And now there's, there's some of those things that I think it's hard for us to understand. Uh, but again, having the context of studying through Exodus, I think was helpful. Sure. In that, yeah. So it always hits me like I really appreciate it because it seems like Jesus is. Uh, a full person he's not some caricature mm-hmm. you know like he is he is god he is he has multiple ways of being in different contexts mm-hmm. and it's like he's meek and mild to those who are hurting who mm-hmm. are the bruised reeds he's not gonna break you know yeah, yeah but but to those whitewashed tombs he has harsh words to say to them and says you're full of dead men's bones like curse you literally yeah. uh, woe to you pharisees mm-hmm. i mean he literally calls them names yeah, <laughs> you just, brought of vipers yeah. like i mean to walk up to some, like if i if i walked up to somebody who was clearly a wolf in sheep's clothing <laughs> and i just said it to their face you're right. a wolf in sheep's clothing 
like I, I feel like there would be a culture today where they'd be like, wow, he's being kind of mean. Right. Yeah. It's sure. like, no, I'm just calling it what it is. You're being true. You yeah, being are true. a wolf in sheep's clothing. I think about like Peter when the the Simon the Wizard is like <laughs> trying to buy the Holy Spirit in right. the book of Acts. And that the power that the Holy Spirit brings. And Peter goes, Your money perish with you. Like right. he's basically cursing him, you know? Like and Oh my gosh, to talk like that to people today would be, and I'm not saying that Peter is now a prescriptive for how we should talk to people today. That's a descriptive of what he did. Yeah. At the same time, would it be all that wrong to just call it how it is? And I mean, to some, they'd be utterly offended, but it's like, but you're just calling it how it is, you know? I was I was telling the guys um, what we learn in Simeon Trust in preaching is your your tone of your preaching should match the tone of the text to some degree to in, the best in, of your ability to your best <laughs> ability yeah in the in the delivery yeah right? yeah mm-hmm. if you're in a lament psalm you should there there should be occasion for lament you know yeah, you should if you're have jokes all the time it really is <laughs> yeah. gonna be feeling the, the spirit of Cody would fall heavily yeah. upon that sermon and yes. some some tears may fall right. At the, at the same time, maybe you don't want Cody preaching a lament because you may not <laughs> be able preach to get it. through it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> exactly. We love you, Cody. We wow. love you. But my, but you're right. Yeah, people. I I know this guy. He, I know. Actually, I listened to a sermon recently. He opens with a joke every sermon, no matter what text he's in. He opens with a joke, and I'm like, ah, bad move. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's like uh, the right move. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to lighten the air. Mm-hmm. Good intention, bad information. My <laughs> bad assumption. So not not in the same way as I was making in my sermon that point, but <clears throat> I think that your tone should match. But this one, it was a struggle because it's like, what am I going to do? Am I going here and flip tables around? Am I going <laughs> to? I advocated for that. I advocate. I was like, I will put a table on stage if you want it. And but you would also have abdicated, probably not right to do because <laughs> a we're not like doing these things in our church. Yeah. So this is actually like a good warning passage. Yeah. I mean, for us, we should take it as a good warning. Like, hey, what happened to them could happen to us yeah. to some degree. But at the same time, we should be thankful that the Lord has a clean house here. You know mm-hmm. and. And that yeah. we can celebrate that and we can come in and worship. And so we're thankful that the house is clean and be warned like that it could get unclean real fast if we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and his yep. word and what he's told us to do. Anyway, those are some things that at least hit me. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we should read the text. We don't always do this, but let me read through it really quick. So sure. I have it before people. This is uh, John 2, starting in verse 13. The Passover, sorry, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? 
But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus was on this, uh, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So that is the text. Um, you focus mostly on one through 22, I think, but we can talk a bit about the last few verses in a second. Sure. Um, but one of the things you mentioned, which maybe we can just deal with really quickly, is this idea of multiple temple cleansings, um, which maybe it's not that exciting to talk about, but it seems like the synoptics, all three of them, record the temple cleansing in yeah. the Passion Week, right? And it's different, too, mm. because he, they, he does not make a whip <clears throat> in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He doesn't what? He does not make a whip okay. of cords. And he always references my, you know... It is written, "This shall be a house of prayer, not a house of a none of." And you've made it into a den of robbers. Slightly different, similar. Mm -hmm. And then John records it early in the ministry. And you were saying that there's multiple ways of understanding this, and you are inclined to believe that John is recording that same later event, but chronologically putting it earlier to establish Mm -hmm. a theological idea that Jesus is focusing on worship, right? Worship, maybe. I don't know. Did you do much study on that? Thought on that? Yeah, um, I think that that's why I read that Malachi passage, Mm. because I do feel like what John is doing. So when did, was the, was the temple already destroyed when John was writing John? There's some debate so. there. Yeah, I mean, what is the temple destroyed so. in like the because Nero was 60s com- or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it wasn't that long. And then John generally thought of as referenced as writing later than the apostles even or the epistles. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 70s, it's a late gospel, 80s. but it should be. Be- I think it's before the destruction of the temple. Most people before the destruction of the temple. I'm not sure. I believe so. Like I can look at. I guess I can look at the ESV study. Uh, the date that they place it is uh, most likely date of writing is between 70 and 100, but there's not enough evidence to. The date subsequent to AD 70 is suggested, among other things, by the reference to the Sea of Tiberias later in the... So he it, basically, he seems to make reference that it's older. That what's older? That it, it's written later. That it's written um, after the temple was destroyed. I think so, but, but I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure when the temple was destroyed. Yeah, Wasn't it like question. 8064 or something like that? Or Not so, but... um, so here's my here's one of my other thoughts when you consider that historical context mm-hmm. is that John is writing at a later date. And he's talking about not only the destruction of the body of, of Jesus and how the disciples remembered this, yeah, but the temple is in fact actually destroyed. And in one sense, he's giving hope hmm. because, I mean, there would have been people just devastated by the fact that the temple's destroyed and all of this stuff. But he's like, well, but Jesus' temple was destroyed and he came back to life. So believe in him kind of a yeah. thing. So he's making some connections there. Um, I think that the Malachi passage, because Malachi is largely leading toward this idea that the temple is going to be destroyed. Does yeah. he not talk about that in chapter four of Malachi? 
I, I, I think Cody would know where's Cody at. I know exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. He just, te- taught, he just taught this. Teach this. He he <laughs> teached it good. He learned um, well. I mean, no. I mean, the great day of the Lord. That's in chapter four. But you're saying that talks and about the book the of remembrance. Of maybe it was right before that. Um, ju- basically, judgment is coming against Jerusalem in yeah. in Malachi, and so I read the Malachi three thing, and I think John is making lots of theological historical connections here with the Malachi passage. He's he's that's why he put John the Baptist where he did, you know, or obviously he was there chronologically as well. But connecting it with Malachi, he says Malachi three one, um, when he'll send the messenger and he'll prepare the way before me. John the Baptist said that about himself, and then immediately the next verse is that he will come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming, and so Jesus immediately comes into the temple, and so I think John is literarily making a biblical context connection Hmm. with Malachi, which was also connecting their moment, their cultural moment, that the temple was destroyed and the Lord visited Jerusalem and these kinds of things that Malachi was sort of prophesying about. Um, Yeah, the temple was destroyed at 70, which is likely when this was written. It was written around the time. Yeah, right then. So John wrote it during, after the construction, the destruction of the temple. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So I think there's a lot going on there, um, and I, I I think that John put this story here early on, recorded it in the way that he did, leaving some of the things out that the synoptics leave out, um, like the house of prayer, mm-hmm. and also like a den of thieves. Like he does, that's not, I mean, obviously it's like a good reference, but it's not necessarily leading to the point, because the problem is they had desecrated the temple. Yeah is is essentially the picture with these animals are in there. Yeah. Um so <clears throat> yeah, I think I I thought about that. I was trying to not get in the weeds. Yeah. with like information. That's what podcasts are for. Cody. Exactly. That's why we're yeah. talking about it right here. So that's it, a good question. But I think at the end of the day, like those are both I think valid ways of looking at it, whether there's two cleansings and the synoptics just don't record the first because the passion week one fit better with like the way the Holy Spirit wanted to craft their narratives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a viable, like there's nothing that would like, it doesn't call into question the reliability of scripture or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but at the same time, yeah. And bo- the, both the other way too, that John doesn't, is not putting his, his gospel in chronological order as much. Right. He's more concerned with immediately coming to his temple, fulfilling, or at least, you know, referencing that Malachi passage and putting this story earlier in 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 his gospel. Mm-hmm. But but either way, at the end of the day, I, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, yeah. does it really matter? I don't. Right. Uh, it's just like it, the the point of the passage is still the same. The Jesus did it when he did it, mm-hmm. and the specifics of how he did it maybe you know don't really shape it too much. But anyways, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, one of the one of the things that is important chronologically and I th- obviously why the synoptics put it this way. I mean, I I I think that it happened in his passion week. Yeah. Pri- like historically. But he he puts it here as I was just saying because of the biblical context and trying to make the point that 
a lot of this is fulfilling what Malachi was saying. But Jesus was ultimately sort of condemned because of this statement yeah. mm-hmm. uh, about destroying the temple. And because remember, like he was jeered at and was like, yeah, he said he could raise, you know, destroy the temple yeah. and he'll raise it up, like do this. So he was, je- people remembered this. This was a significant moment. And I think people remembered it because, well, he had just said it a few days earlier. But I, I think that by putting it in John, by John putting it early on in his gospel, it still doesn't change the fact that later on, this was a significant statement that mm-hmm. Jesus made, yeah. that he was going to destroy what was, or that they would ultimately destroy uh, what, what had pre- previously been put in place. But what the Lord is going to raise up is even better and greater mm-hmm. uh, out of that. And so uh, my point is just that by moving it, it doesn't change the the event in yeah. regard to like its theology or its implications or these kinds of things. Well, yeah, you when Jesus did this, he disrupted their economic stability. Like when you when you attack someone's money, um mm. he, you know, like that upset them yeah. finally enough to yeah, so Anyway, it's interesting things to think about and talk about, but um, let's move on to another thing that well, you mentioned. Yeah, money and influence, right? Yeah, like the authority, he's, power. Because yeah. that was their question. Like, show us a sign. They're questioning his like authority. Like, what gives you the authority to come into our house and do these kinds of things? And so it was obviously their pocketbooks, <laughs> but at the same time, their influence over the people that they were really frustrated about. Yeah, Jesus. because what does that show about them? It shows like, oh, they're the ones who messed up. Yeah. It's on them. For sure. Yeah, now they're feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we got to get rid of this guy. He's making us feel too guilty. Or look bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. Both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so the other thing that you, we were just talking about this, about the idea that Jesus enters into modern day churches, would, would he do something like this? Um, but I wonder, you didn't give any details in your sermon, but you made mention of... Uh, the fact that when Jesus came to this temple, he would have been shocked. He was expecting incense and prayers and scripture reading. Sure. And he got stinky animals. And <laughs> I thought that was a helpful great. section of your sermon for sure. But um, but if he came into a modern church today, he may he may feel similarly. So I don't know. Are, are there any modern day equivalents of this kind of quote unquote temple corruption or are we <laughs> is is <laughs> that you can identify or you can well, see? Well, and that's why I asked you guys when we started what is your <laughs> impression <laughs> what uh what triggers you when you read this yeah. sort of story like i was i shared the thing about the planned parenthood in in that church up the street yeah but um yeah i i think that there's a lot of weird things going on in churches today Um, I mean, I think what I see here is a barrier to worship. Like one of the biggest problems is they were desecrating the temple, but they were also putting roadblocks in front of people from encountering God. Right. Do you think that's fair to say in in this? Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Because, I mean, going to the pigeons. So one of the main issues is, and you kind of jokingly said, why does he hate the pigeons so much? Mm -hmm. The pigeons were, were there. I mean, Nathan, you were mentioning this earlier. Um, you know, they were there specifically for those who could not afford a more expensive animal, yeah, right? So yeah. they had to bring the turtle doves. Um, 
and so beca- and the and so they would upcharge these things. They would be more expensive, and therefore defeating the whole purpose that it was specifically for those who were lower income to be mm-hmm. able to worship mm-hmm. in this way, and they would cause them to pay even more. So, anyways, they were putting barriers between people and worship, and I think that happens. Well, I our... but I think uh, did you have you read Brian Chapel's book Christ Centered Worship? Um, it's oh my, it's such a great book. But he has a line in the book, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, that haunts me. And the line is, whatever we say and do in a worship gathering communicates something about what we believe about God and the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that is a paraphrased version of what he, what he's saying, what he wrote. Mm-hmm. But so, so with that as a claim, he's making a statement there. If you walked into a church and saw laser beams and fog machines. You like if it if it looks like a concert, let's say. That's a good band name though. You mm. would yeah. You would think God is an experience. God is an event that you experience mm. but then walk away from. Mm. Now that's like uh I'm reading into it a little bit. But yet at the same time like it is communicating something. Indirectly mm-hmm. it's communicating something. You're you're receiving an impression. Um, I like there's a lot of ways where if you really want to think hard about the yeah. way people do church and the elements that are present in the service, you're you have to ask what did that just communicate mm. about God and the gospel? I mean, other other churches you go and you're sitting there and during the announcements there's a five-minute plug to sell the pastor's book that he's just released. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so basically this church is a commercial for product being sold by the pastor or whatever, you know? And it's just like things like that. When you think through all of the things that are going on, or another one would be a political ad. You know, you get some person in there like, like a politician. Yeah. And they come in and they're like, hey, this and that, and they're sort of advocating, and, and pastors do this kind of stuff all the time. David Platt got ripped apart a few years ago because he did this in his church. Someone came, one political person came in, and he got prayed for. A huge person. Uh, 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 yeah, he was a big deal. <laughs> he came in, and all he, all he wanted, he came in to get prayer. And David Platt literally just brought him on the stage and prayed for him. He didn't... But yet everyone assumed this was a, a uh, now a validation. Mm. And in, in, I know in David Platt's mind, it was like, no, the Bible tells us to play, pray for those in leadership. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and yet everyone saw it as, no, this person came in and took advantage of your stage and 10 minutes to make a political plug for himself, it, which is slightly true mm-hmm. also. And you have to just accept that. So you just have to think through like, what are we communicating mm-hmm. and about God and the gospel? Like if a lost person walked in here into a church service, what would they discern by the way that the people talk, interact, worship, pray? What would you discern? What would that person discern about this God? Mm. I remember John Stott talked about how he went to a prayer or a worship service and the during the pastoral prayer time he prayed for 
Um, the pastor prayed for uh, an elderly person's foot to be healed, prayed for, like, like didn't call mm-hmm. them up, but just mm-hmm. prayed out by name, hey, I pray for this, I pray for that. And it was like all physical needs mm-hmm. that the body had. And, and John Stott's critique was, that's wonderful. However, you never once prayed for the lost around the world. So clearly God is just a God who meets all of your felt needs, but isn't a God on mission, isn't a God trying to reach people in your community. You know, like he didn't pray for other things. And so I thought that was a pretty insightful remark. Like even the way we pray communicates something about the God that we worship and believe in. Yeah. And so we just have to be aware of the messaging that we don't want to send by the things that we are doing or not doing. And we can't be haphazard about this. And we we just have to be thoughtful and cr- critical of mm-hmm. ourselves, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Were you looking for no. like, specific examples? No, I think that's that's fine. I th- uh, well, I think we street? should also be... Huh? The church down the street? <laughs> I don't yeah. know a church down the street. I don't know any of the churches yeah. around, so <laughs> I don't mean anything by that. Yeah. yeah I, th- I mean, it's hard because we should also be self-reflective and Think hard <coughs> about this challenge that Jesus gives. If he came into our church, which you you were thinking through even in your sermon, if he walked into here, what would he experience? Of course, right. he is here, and he does know what's mm-hmm. happening right. here. But like in that sense, and I think I think by God's grace, there are many things that that are happening here that are that are fruitful and wonderful and spiritually thoughtful and that kind of thing. But we could also be mindful of ourselves, not only looking outward but thinking. Is there anything we're doing? I don't think there is, but right. but you know we're open. If anyone has something they'd want to say, you know, to us, you can right. about that kind of thing. Um, and I mean, I don't want to be too rigid. I don't want to like split hairs. I sure. there was a guy that you like. You can think hard about these things, but sometimes you can go overboard. Mm. Like there was a guy. He came a few years ago. He doesn't come anymore because our church wasn't good enough for him. Um, he, he complained to me about the way we were doing communion during COVID. So people started coming back and I was like, thankful for that. But he was like, why do you do it this way and that way? And he was trying to understand the way we fence the table, which is a fancy term for how we make sure only Christians are taking communion and, and this and that. And anyway, and I was like, man, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm just happy that we're gathering right now. <laughs> like, I'm not, the way we're doing communion isn't the most ideal way to do it. But you know what? I'm just happy people are off their couches. Mm-hmm. But some people can be too, like, idealistic. Like uh, John Piper's quote this last week, or tweet about the coffee thing. <laughs> oh. He's like, should we think hard about having coffee in our, like, worship centers, you know? Like... Is that reverent, essentially, is right. what he's saying? It's like, oh my gosh, dude, seriously? What's wrong with having a cup of coffee in the worship center? But some people's, some people's consciences are like, you know what? No, like, this is a holy place. We're not going to bring in a donut <laughs> in the worship center. We're not going to do that. I'm like, I don't know, dude. We got loads of donuts in our worship center. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Jesus would come over and flip the donut table in our church. <laughs> By the way, parents, you can really do us a favor and clean up <laughs> after your kids in the front of the stage. Friendly public service announcement. Yeah, wow. Yes, please. Um, 
Anyways, I think that's a, a helpful application of this text, that we need to be mindful of, of those things and that everything we do in worship will communicate something about God. And, uh, but I also, we also have to recognize there's not a one-to-one comparison between the temple and the church per sure. se, but, but yeah, it was a, a good, I mean, you're not like, you know, a whole city over, but you're like down the block. True. <laughs> you know, it's nice. not like, I mean, it was still a place to gather and worship. Yeah. To meet with God. Yeah. To meet with God. But yeah, now the, now the church is the people who gather in local yeah. assemblies all over the world in all kinds of places mm-hmm. right that's that's the the new quote unquote temple um but at the same time where god's people gather to worship is there is still a connection there between yeah a, a, physical a church a physical church yeah i've gathering. heard some people make kind of a a stink i guess we'll say about calling it like the house of god oh are you coming to the house of god like right. you would call which i think that might get theologically confusing, you know what I mean? But or, or, but again, it's like you're splitting hairs at that yeah, point. So right. I, I personally wouldn't say that about the church. Uh, the same is true with like sanctuary right. versus worship center. Right. This is a worship center, a center where we worship. It's not a sanctuary in the in the sense that like it's the holy of holies. Right. And it's it's purified like the temple was or the For tabernacle. Sure. Anyways, those are fun discussions. No, but... those yeah, those are helpful. I mean, on the other on another topic on that like cuz i think what a lot of this was i mentioned they're trying to make it convenient for yeah. worshipers that's a yeah mm-hmm. i mean not a bad impulse like hey how can we help people to come and worship easier you know and i think that's where it started with good intention but then it was like but you still have to tether that with what scripture actually says and an unintended result and be able to assess like, oh, shoot, did we like do something that we didn't intend to have happen? Hmm. Man, okay, let's back up. Let's correct that mistake. Um, and, and if you don't do that, then you just keep going down the slippery slope of doing things you shouldn't be doing. And you're like, wait, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that the seeker-sensitive movement mm-hmm. that started in like the 80s and 90s really did a lot of that where they're like, hey, let's make church easy and like acceptable and accepted by like worldly people. And so let's do things that worldly people would be okay with in hopes of like bringing down barriers, quote unquote, from bringing people into the church. Good impulse, good intention, like we want to get lost people saved. But the problem is, is you're not giving them like an actual alternative. You're you're not showing them a better way hmm. by present. You're you're just giving them like substitute sugar. You know, it's like, well, I might as well just go get real sugar. Like it's if you're just giving them like a another option, but it's not necessarily like holy Christ. <laughs> then I don't know. Um, yeah, I I think those are the things that I've been wrestling with. <clears throat> In this passage. I think that's a pretty charitable way to look at it. Maybe it began that way with good intentions, but it seems like Jesus, especially in the synoptics, seems to indicate that they are actually stealing from them. So whatever it started at is it definitely became a place where they were exchanging these currencies for the express purpose of like making themselves wealthy and stealing from those who were coming to worship. So like 
I guess I'm just saying, uh, I, th- I think what you're saying is valid. Some of them, you know, <coughs> it's totally feasible, might have been thinking that. Mm. And I think that's a modern thing that we fall into too. But I think there was some of them or many of them who were actually doing it sort of nefariously to earn money for themselves oh, too. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. There was definitely that happening. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing what, I mean, this is where wolves in sheep's clothing come in because there's wolves who see something in the church, an opportunity for personal advancement. Like I was just saying about Simon the Wizard, right? Mm-hmm. He, he saw what the disciples were doing and this power that they had, and he's like, dude, I kind of like that. How can I get power like that? But he wasn't trying to do it to serve the Lord or serve people. He was trying to get it to where he could have people's uh, attention once again. Mm-hmm. So he saw the gospel as a means for personal advancement. Mm-hmm. which that like only time and discernment will root that out. And uh, I, I wanted to put this in my sermon. I actually cut this whole section out because I thought it would be too close. But um, you would have been right. I've known like, like realtors mm-hmm. who show up to church and then you're like, oh, what brought you here? You know, and they're like, oh, well, I'm a realtor. I just started my business in town and I, churches are a great way to build clientele. <laughs> and you're just like, get the heck out of my building. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, yeah. you are here for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Like, you're not, you're not here to hear a message. Like, you're here to take advantage of my people, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, and then... I mean, but other other business owners and like, you know, medical professionals, um, we have a chiropractor in our church now who's great, but I knew a chiropractor who, I mean, basically was building his clientele yeah. through the church. And, and that is, you know, that's not, in one sense, it's like not a bad thing, you know, it is a place to meet people and stuff like that. But if that's your primary yeah. purpose is you're joining a church or attending a church, <clears throat> someone told me uh, a story about a chiropractor. This is a different church. And and they met them, and then they were gone. And then they ran into them, and they are like, oh, we, I don't see you at church anymore. And they're like, oh, you know what? We started going to the bigger church because there's more opportunity to, like, build my clientele. <laughs> that's and crazy. That, wow. Exactly. Like, that's the kind of stuff that's like, you need to flip the tables over on that situation. Because <laughs> yeah. this person is using the church in order mm-hmm. to make money right. and and have personal advancement. And that's super selfish and dark even. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think those are the kinds of things that like come to my mind when I think about this. There's a yeah. lot of ways that people pollute the worship of God. And that's that's what we want to preserve um, in our in our worship gatherings, mm-hmm. another interesting thing that you talked about in your sermon, moving on from from that topic, was about the fact that Jesus can and does still come to some churches. You said in quote unquote clean house, mm-hmm. right? Like like he sort of did at the at the temple, but how does he do that now? I mean, he's not actually tossing tables and whipping people right now. So I, I'm curious. Maybe we could talk about that. I mean, you kind of made reference to this already when you talked about the um, the planned parenthood that ended up in a church building. Yeah. Um, and you alluded to the fact that maybe that happened. Like, I don't know. I guess, yeah, what do you think about that dynamic? About, 
like, does Jesus still do things like this today? Does he still do it today? How does he do it today? I mean, I think that's going back to my <laughs> earlier question again about, like, what was your guys' impression as you read this story is, okay, Jesus did this then when he was physically on earth. Hmm. How does he still treat his church now? Like the 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 temple, right? The body, the people, mm-hmm. and does he do this in some uh, tangible way where we can see his fingerprints, as it were, of cleaning house? And I I think I gave two options. Like when a church sort of loses their way, two things happen. He like lets it die, mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is like I, what I was referencing with the Planned Parenthood, is there's like a, it, it almost becomes this permanent fixture of a memory of something was lost here. And this is what happens when you try and like buddy up with the world, is the world comes in and takes over and they're not, they're not trying to buddy up with you. They're trying to take over. Mm. and And that's like one of the, most heinous evils of all, right? I mean, is murdering the unborn in an in a place that used to be a house of worship, a Gosh, place of worship, yeah. you know? And I, I was obviously I got emotional for a service just mm. thinking about it. Like <clears throat> I was talking to Cody about it later. And he was just saying, Well, I mean, it, like I have a passion for healthy churches. Yeah. And I but I also have a passion for healthy churches because I I got saved because I felt this weird urge one day to go to church. Supernatural urge. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like obviously there were breadcrumbs along the way, and we'll learn about that next week with Nicodemus huh? and the the spirit moving. But I think I ended up at a church. And though I got saved that day, like I heard the gospel, I was converted that day. I would say at the same time. I had a really weird experience. Hmm. I I literally remembered praying before the pastor went into communion mm-hmm. and explained the gospel, and then the Lord started like basically opening my eyes to hear and understand. I remembered praying this weird prayer, God, I gave you a chance, and this is what I get. <laughs> the sermon was terrible. <laughs> the people were unfriendly. Nobody paid attention. The worship music was very odd and mm-hmm. unrelatable. Like there was nothing like like I was genuinely like looking. Like, is God real? Is he there? Can he help me? Yeah. And the the majority of the service was like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like God is fun. God is a joke. God is like that was the the impression. And I mean, again, I was like searching and I was empty. And that was that was my experience. So I, I have this like passion because obviously I want to see God worshipped, but I also know that people, God draws people into the church mm-hmm. in order to save them. And it's our obligation to make sure that what they experience is actually the God of Scripture. And for an evangelistic purpose. And I think going back to like you guys were talking about the pigeon and the poor, um, the temple was supposed to be there was some commentary commentary saying that they <clears throat> they set up this merchant area in the courtyard which was basically where the gentiles would go yeah mm. and so 
it, it was this weird like you're supposed to be a light to the nations, mm -hmm. and instead you're you're screwing all of this up for them. And so those were the things I was wrestling with, like emotionally, like in that moment, just thinking about like, A, I, I long for healthy churches because I want to see Christians thriving in their walk with the Lord, but I also want healthy churches because I believe it is the primary means by which God reaches the world. And so when they lose that, we're missing a great opportunity to reach the lost. Mm, yeah. And I think that's part of why Jesus is so frustrated, is he's zealous for worship, but he's zealous for worship because he wants the world to worship the Lord. And they were they were just screwing up on multiple fronts. Yeah, um, he is seeking worshipers, we'll see in chapter four. Yes. Who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Like, there is a connection, you made references in your sermon, to the next several <coughs> chapters with regard to worship. Um, but to, even, to answer your question, though, yeah, how does he clean house? I think that oftentimes he'll send, you know, someone in, you know, maybe a leader, a courageous person to come in and ask questions and and help, like you know, they become members and then they just sort of like lead by example and by having mm -hmm. hard conversations. Um, honestly, sometimes he removes the leader. Mm -hmm. or the leadership. Either they get fired or um, they experience some moral failing, mm. which exposes them in their bad leadership. And then hopefully, by God's grace, someone comes in and and takes over and leads them in a right, you know, a better direction. Um, yeah, I think there's all kinds of ways that the Lord cleans, cleans house. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said as much in, in the letters to the churches in Revelation. Yeah. He's like, if you're not going to, if you yep. return to your first works, if not, I'll remove your lampstand if mm -hmm. you don't repent. Yep. So it seems like he's doing that same thing um, that he did in the temple to the churches, at least in there. That's a text we might look at. For sure. Yeah. And yes, Jesus himself judges churches based off of whether they're faithful or mm -hmm. not. And sometimes as hard as it was here. But I think he also leaves us with processes to clean the church. Like, I mean, Matthew yeah. 18 with, if there's sin in the church, we're called to go and talk to those people mm -hmm. and expose that sin, confess that sin, and then repent of that sin, call people out. And then ultimately, like, it leads to the finality of um, discipline, where it's like the removal, because if we're not taking sin seriously, then God's judgment will rest mm. on the church. Yeah, yeah. And church discipline that's a great point to make. Is a huge emphasis in there. That's really what Jesus is kind of doing. <laughs> yeah, it's cleaning the house. He's yeah. leaving us a process for us to use what he says. So if someone's you know in a church discipline case, we can we can whip them with a whip. Is that what I'm to glean from <laughs> yeah. you, Nathan? Nope, I said uh, follow his process in Matthew 18. <laughs> okay. Well, like as a as a practical example, like let's say somebody comes in and wants to use the church for like their own purposes, right? Um, it's the leader's job to make sure things like that don't happen. And in this moment, the merchants were selling, and it was the priests and the Levites who were there, who was exactly. their responsibility to make sure that things exactly. like this didn't happen. They were the stewards, and they weren't doing it. And so, yeah, that, that was cause for great frustration on Jesus' part. And why, again, I think Nicodemus shows up in the next chapter at night, mm was I think Nicodemus was convicted. Uh, he was the premier theologian, is what Jesus calls him. 
Like, dude, you you know the Bible. The teacher of Israel. Yeah, yeah. like this this guy was the real deal. And but even the real deal had sort of slipped into like, oh man, like it was it was no big deal. But then it became a big deal. And then he was like, dude, I, I think I screwed up. I should have mm. probably shifted that a long time ago. And I think he was coming to Jesus genuinely concerned for his soul and for doing the right thing. Um and and so yeah, I think that Jesus <coughs> action had an effect, certainly on Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. And but he even says, like, hey, we know. So there were others mm-hmm. who who recognized, dang man, we we did screw this up, you know. I like you were saying earlier, Rob, that maybe some were like, Oh, finally, like this, yeah, we've been this happened. Like they were joyful about it. Yeah. I th- I think some of them were very confused, actually. Mm-hmm. The disciples were clearly confused, and I think the leaders were ashamed. Yeah, and and they actually like their eyes were open, like, "Oh man, how did we get here?" And but it took a dramatic thing like that in order for them to be like, "Oh dang, what were what were we doing?" Yeah. So then the interaction between him and uh, in in oh gosh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Why am I forgetting his name? Happened in the Passion Week. That's the other question then, anyways. Yeah, for sure. That is a great question. I guess so, because it seems like they're connected. But anyways, we're, we're going to get off topic and we got to end. Literarily, soon. they're told to make a connection. Historically, yes. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <coughs> okay, last thing I, I, wa- I wanted to mention is um, the last few verses. Verses 23 through 25, where Jesus says he did not entrust himself to them. He knew what was in man. You gave a quick nod to this in your sermon, but it wasn't. A point of emphasis. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, any other comments we want to make in, in those verses? I think they're pretty interesting, but it's almost like Nathan was saying this earlier. It's like a transition section yep. in some ways too. So it sort of fits, but it's sort of its own thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Any thoughts on those Did last you, few verses? Nathan led my life group this last week. Now our life group. <laughs> Soon uh, to be. Nathan's um, going to make the rounds. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys get into this in life group on... Thursday? No, I don't think we talked about this passage or this section much. Oh, okay. But I know I was talking to a few of you guys about how it's like Jesus at the wedding of Cana. He's there's like a problem and he kind of fixes it. Mm. Here he comes into the temple and there's a pro- problem and he's kind of cleaning the temple. Mm, sure. he's like, and then now he's saying, I'm, I'm not going to trust these things to you because I know that you guys have a problem. Mm. What's in you? And then hence Nicodemus comes in. What's the solution to that problem? Mm. To be born again. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you, Rob, well, both of you, what do you think, what is John essentially trying to say in this last section in, in regard to the context? It's sitting in between this story of, mm-hmm. uh, well, really coming at the end of both of these signs, the wedding at Cana and then the cleansing of the temple, and then prior to Nicodemus, what is he trying to say? Because there were people who believed, but it was all, it's almost like he's saying, but like I can make a commitment to Christ, mm. but the better part is when Jesus makes a commitment to me, right? Like mm. that's, that's when salvation and conversion sort of happens. And, yeah. and what he's saying here is, yeah, Jesus didn't commit himself to anybody. It's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a weird passage. I don't really yeah. know all that much to do with it. Yeah, and I know in the Old Testament, there's a lot of like statements about the people they had faith or they believed, and you can't really take it as salvific faith mm. uh, because 
that's not what it is. It's just like they believed in God for the moment. Yeah, maybe God saved them, but still some of them turned right after or something like that, especially like after um, them coming to the mountain and pledging themselves to God and then mm. they go and make a calf to right. God, like right yep. after. <laughs> it's and wild. It's like, so maybe this, <laughs> potentially this could be one of those cases where these people are like, yeah, this guy, he's a prophet from God, he's good, but they didn't really know like what it meant that he would save them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it wasn't salvific in a sense. Yeah, and I, I think in one sense, what it teaches us doctrinally is that man is depraved. Mm-hmm. Like we, in our heart, like I, I quoted Calvin, that our hearts are perpetual idol factories. Um, we're constantly, unfortunately, finding new ways to worship something other than God, um, our creator, our savior. And yeah, I think it's like what's in man is a sin nature. Like right. the mm-hmm. impulse is to worship, but because of the nature, we always worship in the wrong direction. We're like blind people that can't find our way. And we don't know up from down and in as an illustration and a metaphor. But <clears throat> yeah, I think that's definitely something to take away from those verses. Also connecting it back to Jesus' response to Mary. Why, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said about the fact that he's not entrusting the yeah. fullness of who he is yet because it is unfolding, because he knows if he does, he knows what is in man, and they would murder him a lot sooner, mm. <laughs> you know, if it was not on his timeline. So he has a, he has a timeline. He's fulfilling in a certain, yeah, way. And so I think that there, that could be some of it, where he's he knows what's in them, and he can't do these signs in a public way yet. That's why the wedding at Cana was, was somewhat subtle. Just the disciples or the servants knew what was happening. Here, he does a sign, and they're like, show us a sign. He's like, I just did a sign, and they're missing it. You know what I mean? So clearly, you know, that, and he, he says this puzzling thing, destroy the temple, I'll raise it up in three days, and they're like, what are you saying? <laughs> right. You know? So he's clearly speaking to them in a way that he's not entrusting the fullness of who he is yet, but he'll get there mm. um, because they're corrupted. Because, And he says multiple times throughout the Gospels where he's like, the uh you know the the Pharisees made to arrest him, but it was not yet his time, and yeah. so he went out through another way or something. So like, <clears throat> it could be something like that. Yeah, for sure. But we will see more as we get into John chapter three, the very famous, uh, you know, probably the most famous, yeah, all section verses. of the entire. I mean, it has Bible. To be. It's probably yeah. Yeah, everyone knows. I can't John think of another one. I mean, it's on the bottom of In and Out. Philippians four thirteen. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> If you, if nah, you're, if among you're Christians, s- but uh, just in church, general church, culture, church. John three sixteen. Yeah. Dude. Tim Tebow put it on his face. You know what I mean? <laughs> his face? Yeah, oh, yeah, on like his the, yeah, yeah. on the on the like yeah. Well, well, Philippians four thirteen is on tattooed all over like different athletes. I know it's true. I can do all things, man. I can lift I can a million do it. pounds. <laughs> I can throw a football five thousand yards. All <laughs> things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Anyways, hermeneutics. Um. I I think one of the things before we transition here is I was sort of uh, taken back by the story and thinking through it in the lens of John is trying to say that Jesus came to restore our worship and he died and he rose again to restore our worship. Like the gospel and, and conversion and salvation is essentially bigger than just saving you from hell. And it's about, or from your sin, or from your addiction, or all these other things, but reorienting your whole life back to a life that is 
bringing honor and glory to God, which is the primary purpose for which God made you and us. And I, I don't know, I, I, that hit me again this week as I was thinking about that. Um, but anyway. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that concludes discussions on John 2. So we will move now into the next portion, which is actually this. Volunteer of the week. <laughs> Our volunteer of the week this week is going to go to Daniel Garris the Younger. Mm. Um, because he is an award-winning photographer. I know I need to do this. Hold on. Oh, no, wrong one. <laughs> Let's see which one it that is. That was not supposed to. Daniel, don't be offended. That was uh. that was not for you. Uh, this, this one. There we hey. go. Wow. <laughs> The the trombone was for me. I know. Um, um, that was for me. But anyways, thank you, Daniel, because this week he um, he's been working for the last like few months on getting some pictures together. Is that those um, new ones on the wall? The new In ones our, on the wall. Oh, were taken. great. They're taken by Daniel. Very nice photos. All local pictures. Uh, there's a bunch in our new bookstore, which is not quite ready yet, but it will be open in the next, I don't know, a couple weeks. Stay tuned. Uh, in fact, if you want to get involved helping out in the bookstore, come see me. I need volunteers. Um, but we're working on that. He He's providing some decor, some literally award-winning. He, he won some awards at the Clackamas uh, Fair recently. Uh, anyways, I think maybe he has won it in recent you know months. I don't know. But he uh, he was very helpful to us in, in putting those together for us. And they look really nice. Uh-oh. Rob's starting music. Dang, did we? Oh, you know why? I know why. You gone long. Hold on. The music is starting and it shouldn't. Let me stop that. Okay, going back. <laughs> Let's move on to the wah, next. Wah, wah. I know. <laughs> there we go. The next segment for today. Good job, Daniel. Okay, what we're doing. Wait, hold on. Yeah, hit the button here. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cody. Oh, Rob Welcome is Whoa. fired. Whoa. <laughs> no. Bible trivia now. Yeah. Okay, we're going to Bible trivia. It's time for Bible trivia right now. You're gonna need to splice some of these things. <laughs> this was a, we Just are gonna go. Questionnaire. We're gonna go into Bible trivia. We're doing food, food, food. Yay! Food, food, food. Which? Because how does that connect to this text? It doesn't. Last I was just eating food right now. Oh my gosh! To your I, I great Let's annoyance. Hear Let's hear it. Um, <laughs> what prized animal? Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, stories that are loved in the Bible, what prized animal was killed for food when the prodigal son returned home? Fattened calf. Amen. The fattened a. calf. You had to have the adjective in there, the descriptor. And the dead. fattened calf. Nice and juicy and plump. <laughs> Flavorful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here we go. What prophet purified some deadly stew and a water supply? Mm, Wait, this is a good one. With what animal? No, I don't know. The, what prophet purified some deadly stew and a water supply? The huh. question is, what prophet e did this? Elijah. <laughs> Final answer. Elijah. Yeah. I'll say Elisha. Good job, Elisha. <laughs> to keep all of our it is Elisha. <laughs> it was one of the two. Yep. <laughs> okay, let's do one more. Um, who served cheese, milk, and veal to the Lord? When he made his appearance in the form of three men, mm. who it was Abraham. 
Good job, nice. dude. Man, charcuterie board or something. <laughs> he had a charcuterie board. <laughs> the first of its kind. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, it gave it away, those last... Thank you for listening to the Oh my gosh, Cody, Christian Josh, <laughs> Cody, we don't need to hear from you yet. Well, thank you. Thank wow. you for visiting. Wow, okay, this podcast is over. Stop <laughs> listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.